Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, I am Bethany Lothar, our children's ministry director here at Watertown E-Free. Thank you for coming this Sunday. We are so glad that you're here. Um, I know we'll have lots more trickling in as the morning comes on as usual, but um, I just wanted to point out for anybody that's new here or who has not yet, they are these bookmarks that are on the back of the seats in front of you. Um, they have on one side has fun information about things that are going on, like our Wednesday programming and things like that. But on this side, we'd love to get to know you guys as well. Um, so there's a QR code on there you could scan or you can text welcome to the phone number at the bottom um, and just kind of get us some information about you so we can help get you connected, um, communicate, welcome you, um, and there's also a welcome table in the back corner. Um, so as we get into worship this morning, um, let's just prepare our hearts and get ready. There's a lot of things that go on throughout the week and we want to be here and be present and give our hearts over to God um, just to see what he wants to teach us this morning. So will you please pray with me? Father God, you are good and faithful. You are trustworthy, and you love us deeply, Lord. And so I pray this morning as we come together as a body of believers that you would just soften our hearts, that you would help us to be present, to give you the good and the ugly of the days, um, that we would just be able to rest in you and to be able to worship you for who you really are, Lord. We love you. Um, we thank you for, for everything that you do for us. And um, we're looking forward to spending time together with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, for those that maybe haven't met me before, I'm Bruce Struksma. I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. Welcome. We are glad you are here this morning. Uh, we had our semi-annual business meeting last week after the service, and um, I hope that one of the things that became abundantly clear if you attended that, if you were here for our semi-annual business meeting, I hope one of the things you saw is the value our church places on people over projects and on relationships over events. One of the things that I hope uh, becomes abundantly clear over the years is that we value people over projects and relationships over events. And God has been doing a lot of stuff in our church and God is going to continue to do stuff in our church and in our community in the years to come. And so we are excited to see that and be a partner with that. And so with that in mind, I'm going to share some kind of opportunities we have in worship to partner with what is going on in our community and in our world and in our church. And one of those is this morning, you'll see we are set up for communion. We will be taking communion at the end of the service. Uh, any Sunday that we take communion, we also take a benevolent offering. And a benevolent offering is an offering specifically for those people in need in our church and in our community. And so as we take communion, this is an opportunity for us to give back, uh, to give back out of, the, out of the, the generosity of God towards us, to those in need around us. Another opportunity we have to experience God's presence is coming up on Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday is not a holiday day that we as a church have traditionally celebrated, uh, but we're going to do an Ash Wednesday service that Wednesday evening. It's not going to be super long. Uh, we're going to kind of shorten the dinner time by a few minutes and add in a little devotional service in the community room, uh, just as an opportunity for us to begin to prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter and, and 
uh, we'll, we'll start the Lent season then. And the Lent season is that 40 days leading up to uh, Easter that kind of allows us to prepare our hearts and our minds. It's reminiscent of the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness before he started his ministry. And so that's kind of the correlation there. So we'll be doing that. That's another opportunity. Another opportunity we have to see God at work and to partner is our Anchored Women's event coming up on uh, February 10th, Saturday. And that's an opportunity for uh, women in our church to get together and spend some time uh, hearing from the Lord, hearing from each other, and just enjoying each other's company. So those are kind of some opportunities where, again, that really isn't about an event as it is about the relationship. It's about how God is at work and how God is moving. All right, our last thing as a follow-up from our semi-annual business meeting, I'm going to invite Luke to come on up here. Luke is, uh, was our youth ministry director, and we voted to call him as our youth pastor. So we're excited that he is uh, here with us as our youth pastor. I'm also going to invite Stuart, uh, the chairman of the Elder Board, to come on up. And while Stuart comes up, I'm going to call forward all of those that we voted into membership. If you are here, we would love to have you come on up and join us on stage. We have a uh, certificate for you, and we would like to pray over you. So if we voted on you as a member, please come and join us up here on stage. Yeah, so let's welcome them into membership here in our church. Father God, I thank you for how you are at work here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. God, how you are at work in our community. God, I thank you for this uh, step of commitment that these families, these people have taken. God, to say that this is my church. And so Lord, we, we lift them up to you. God, we ask that you would bless their time here at Watertown. God, that you would um, continue to draw all of us closer to you. Lord, we look forward to serving alongside these new members. God, some who are already plugged in and serving deeply and have, have decided to take this formal step, God, and some who are, are new and are just starting that journey. God, we thank you for them. God, and we pray a blessing over them, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for your great love for us that uh, we as... as uh, Children on this earth have, have come uh, into knowing you and your grace and your love for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just ask, Lord, for your blessing upon our entire, entire church body as we continue to minister to um, the folks here in this community and neighboring communities and around the world. Thank you for your great love toward us. Thank you for these new members. And we just ask for your blessing on them all. Amen. Amen. Well, if you as a church body have not met these people yet, I would encourage you, get to know them, talk to them, um, greet them, welcome them, and let's celebrate having them join us in membership. Thank you so much for joining us on stage. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ed and Bethany, uh, everybody who has a role in our worship services this morning. Uh, as the kids head out to Sunday school, uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. This morning, we have been doing a series, if you've been here for the last several weeks, on the book of Judges uh, that I called Case Studies in Chaos, talking about just how God continues to be at work in broken places and how we see that throughout the book of Judges. And this morning, we're going to look at the book of Ruth, which is, I've titled it a Judges Sidebar, um, because 
it, if we look at the book of Ruth, the very first verse says this, in the days when the judges ruled. And so we can see that the book of Ruth fits in very nicely with the book of Judges that we've been studying. And so it ties in really nicely with our statement that we've been looking at every week as we've studied the Judges, the idea that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so we are gonna see in the book of Ruth this morning the story of God's faithfulness in this time of chaos, in this time when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, we're gonna see this story of Ruth and in Ruth, we're going to see an incredible story of faithfulness. And so Ruth is this interesting sidebar in the book of Judges. And it's almost a compare and contrast situation because where Judges, the book has a lot of characters, a lot of characters that we know very little about. We talked a little bit about some of those as we came along where we'd come along people like Ehud, or Elon, and we'd hear these stories and we'd have very little information on them, but they're in there. And where Judges has a lot of those kind of characters, Ruth has few characters and those that are in there are significant. There's very little unknown characters in the book of Ruth. And where the Judges has a lot of violence and a heavy focus on tribalism and political issues in the country, Ruth almost ignores that completely. We don't see much of what's going on in the country at large in the book of Ruth. Ruth makes almost no reference to politics and includes no violence. And so Ruth stands as an example of what we've been talking about all along, that God continues to be at work in broken places. And so here Israel as a group is in a time of upheaval and chaos and yet Ruth gives us a glimpse of godly people living out their lives, honoring the Lord in the midst of all of this chaos. And this should bring us hope. This should bring us hope that, that even when at times it might feel like we are at odds with our family or we are at odds with our coworkers or we are at odds with the world around us, we have the opportunity to live out godly lives in the midst of the chaos. No matter what chaos we are facing, Ruth is that example. And the only indications that we have from the book of Ruth about the chaos that's going on that ties it to the book of Judges is the statement at the front, which says in the times that the judges ruled and the genealogy at the very end, which shows that we are at the end of the judges two generations away from King David. And so that's it. Those are the timestamps we see in Ruth to put it at the end of the judges, which is why I've stuck it here and yet that seems to be kind of the darkest moment in the book of Judges. As we've been walking through the Judges, we've seen that every step along the way, the Judges and the people of Israel have kind of gotten further and further away from God. And the Judges started off, we started off with Deborah as an exemplary judge who showed us a model of what a good judge in the time of Israel could look like. And we went from that to Gideon to Jephthah to Samson and almost taking a step down every time. And now we're gonna be in this dark period and we're gonna see Ruth. And we're gonna see the faithfulness of God to his people. And we're gonna see a story of faithfulness for those who are obedient to him. And so our first glimpse of faithfulness this morning is the faithfulness of Naomi to her God. The first glimpse of Ruth we get is actually her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
Naomi lives in Bethlehem with her husband, and they have fled to Moab, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea, to escape a famine. So there's a famine in the, in the land of Israel, and so uh, Naomi and her husband flee with their two boys, and we know they're over there for a while. They flee for a period of time. It's long enough for the boys to marry, for the husband to die, for 10 years to elapse, and then for t- the, the two boys to die. So they're over there for a period of time, but no real time frame is given beyond that. We don't know if it was 15 years or 20 years, but they were over there probably beyond the length of the famine. They had settled over there. But here, after the death of her husband and her sons, Naomi packs up to return. And now we're gonna see Naomi's character. And we're gonna pick up the story in verses eight through 13 of Ruth chapter one. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And so we're gonna talk about Naomi's faithfulness and it's interesting maybe that I've picked a passage where it ends with her saying, the Lord's hand is turned against me. How is that a story of Naomi's faithfulness if she seems to be blaming God for her trials. And, and just to back up a second, to give you a little bit of cultural context, understand that in that day and age, there was no WIC, there was no social services, there was no uh, governmental agencies or non-governmental agencies that Naomi and Ruth and her sister-in-law could turn to. In that culture, uh, when a woman grew up, as soon as she got married, she was the responsibility of her husband and if he died, her husband's family. None of that exists for them, right? And this is where Naomi is saying to her, look, even if you come back with me, I'm going back to live in poverty and destitution and and to be at the mercy of my family. Don't come back with me, go back to your families. There's no hope here. And so it's interesting that we talk about Naomi's faithfulness when she says, God's hand has turned against me, but we can get a little bit of a glimpse here into her pain, into her hurt, into her struggle. Currently, she's in another country. She's in Moab. And she's looking around and she's going, I don't have a husband. I don't even have adult sons anymore. I have no resources available for me. The best thing for me is to go back. But the best thing for you two is to stay. And it's a tough situation. And the reason that we see her faithfulness here to her God is because while it seems that she is cursing God and it is reminiscent of Gideon who blames God. If God was in charge, why is all this evil happening? If you remember, was Gideon's complaint. It seems reminiscent of that, but there's a subtle difference here between Gideon and Ruth, subtle but significant. Naomi points to God being against her but does not blame God like Gideon. 
While Naomi may be upset at God for her pain, she still acknowledges God's role in her life. We'll see time and again that she'll talk about God blessing them. Right? And I think there's a lesson here for us as Christians, especially in the midst of pain and trauma. It's tempting in our culture, in our day and age, to try and dismiss it. You know, we struggle when somebody is hurting, when somebody is in pain, to come alongside them. We want it all to go away. We want to believe in a God that makes us never suffer and never experience pain, but that's not the world we live in. And so Naomi's comment here is acknowledging her pain. And where Gideon assumed that God was absent and therefore the source of the trials and pain, for Naomi, the pain is real and she doesn't understand why God has allowed it, but she acknowledges him as God in the midst of her pain and suffering. And in, in a way, it's reminiscent of what Job experienced. If you read the book of Job, Job loses everything. And Job and Naomi are similar in their tone. In Job 2, verses 9 and 10, Job says this. His wife said to him, Are you still remain, maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And if you read Job, Job doesn't deny the pain and the hurt and, and the chaos. And in fact, the one good glimpse we have from Job's friends, now Job's friends don't do a great job. If you read the book of Job, they're not great comforters. But the one thing they do is they come and sit with him for seven days and mourn. They don't try and deny it. You know, uh, they don't try and sit there and go, you know what, I'm sure God has a plan. You know what, why don't we just try and make you be happy again? Naomi is in significant pain and God is there with her. And though she doesn't understand it and though it hurts and though she's frustrated and hurting, she remains faithful to her God. As Christians, we can tend to think and believe a false version of the gospel that means everything must be going right. That if I'm following God, he owes it to me to make my life easy and good. But that is not what we are promised. Instead, we remain faithful to God even when pain happens. And when those around us are in pain, we stand in the puddle with them. We climb into the pit. In Romans 12, 15, we read, rejoice with those who rejoice. And we like that part. And mourn with those who mourn. Naomi, in the midst of her pain, acknowledges God and remains faithful to her God, despite the pain. And so now our story will shift in focus to Ruth. And we'll see another case study in faithfulness, the faithfulness of Ruth to Naomi. And Naomi, as we already said, has, has, has encouraged Ruth, go home, go back to your people and your gods. And this shows us that they had presumably left their gods to follow the God of the Israelites. And God continues to be at work to bring all of his people to himself. And we see this from early on when, when God first begins to call out a people to himself. He calls to Abram, later to become Abraham. And he calls out and says, I'm going to create a people out of you. And immediately we see in that blessing in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the very start, the whole reason that God was calling out a people to himself in Abram was to bring the rest of the world along with. They were to be a light. They were to be an example. They were to be something that people would look to and go, I want what they have. That was the call. And so when, when, when we see Ruth and Naomi having this encounter, we see this glimpse of what it was supposed to look like. Because here is Ruth, a Moabite woman. And you'll notice when we get to the passage where she says that she wants to follow Naomi, that it's partly because of Naomi's faithfulness to her God. The faithfulness of Ruth to Naomi is really also a story of Ruth's faithfulness to her new God, the one true God. But we see this continue. So we see it with Abraham, and then we see it in Egypt. When the people of Israel leave Egypt, we see that a bunch of other non-Israelites go with them. And I think we forget that part of the story. If you read Exodus 12, verse 38, many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. And so as we watch the Israelites leave Egypt, we see that they do not travel alone. There were Egyptians who looked and saw what God had done in attacking their gods and said, you know what? I don't want any more part of this false God that I've been serving. I wanna serve the one true God that I'm seeing over here. And they go with the Israelites. And I think we forget this part of the story. It wasn't just the Israelites who walked out of Egypt. People went with them. And this is a continuation of God's intended plan of what the people of, Israelites, of Israel were supposed to be. And this same idea flows through scripture. A quote by a theologian named Stuart, uh, or Douglas Stewart, excuse me. This verse confirms that the Israelites of the Exodus and thereafter were actually a mixed people ethnically. The verse would best be translated as follows. A huge ethnically diverse group also went up with them and very many cattle both flocks and herds. These people had observed the miraculous work of Yahweh, Israel's God, and had become convinced that conversion to him and life among his people would represent their best hope for the future. In this regard, they were predecessors to Ruth, who declared to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God, my God. All along, this has been God's intent. As he calls a people to himself, he says, I want you to bring as many other people along with you as you can. And we're gonna see, as we read now the story of Ruth, we're gonna see that Ruth's motivation to follow Naomi is the same motivation that the people leaving Egypt had. I see in, in the true God the best hope for my future. Ruth chapter two, verses 14 through 18. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
And as I said, this is really a story of Ruth seeing in Naomi an image of Naomi's God and going, I want a part of that. That's the God I want to follow, not the gods of my forefathers and my ancestors and my family. I want to follow the God that I see in Naomi. And, and, and maybe that's partly because of the pain that Naomi had gone through. Back to Naomi's faithfulness. That in the midst of that pain and that hurt, Ruth looked at her and said, she has something that's carrying her on in a way that I want. And my challenge to us as a church is, who are we discipling like that? Who are we modeling that to? Who is looking at us and going, you know, even when your life doesn't make sense, even when your life seems to fall apart, even when you don't understand, you seem to have this peace about you that I want because I don't have that. You know, my wife and I, we had some friends uh, several years ago who... um, at that stage of life, we were you know, pretty early on in our professional careers. And um, as a, at the time, a youth pastor, I was not making a ton of money. And here we had these friends who had much more lucrative careers than us. And, and we were going through life with them and, and going to events and they had everything. They had the nicer house, they had the boat, they had the newer cars, they had season tickets to all the sports teams and they were constantly inviting us to hang out with them and we finally hung out with them and um, you know, we went out to eat and, and it was shortly after that that they came up to us and they said, you know, there's something about you because we have all of the things but you're happier. And you have none of the things. And isn't that the model we're supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to show that when when we don't have all of the things, we still have God and therefore we're happy? And ultimately that couple came to that spot where they went, we're gonna start pursuing God instead of the world, instead of these things. And that's what we see here. That's what we see with Naomi and Ruth is that somehow Naomi had modeled this in such a way that Ruth was compelled, I want a piece of that. And we never know who is watching. But our story continues and we see another story of God's faithfulness. But here we're gonna see a new character enter the story and we're gonna see the faithfulness of Boaz to the law. And the book of Ruth progresses. We now meet our third major character who is Boaz. So we see these two women, they come back to Israel and they settle back in their hometown. And we see this third character enter, Boaz. And we are gonna see his faithfulness to the law of God. Ruth chapter two, the first three verses. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And so we're gonna see from the get-go that Boaz is a man of standing in the character. And we're gonna see later on in the story, especially that not only is he a man of character, but he's a man of wealth and influence. He's the total package. He's the antithesis of the judges that we've seen so far in the book of Judges. He's got it all. 
the wealth, the influence, the power, the authority, but he also has character. He's a man of standing. And we see that, first of all, in the fact that he's allowing Ruth to come and glean in his field. And gleaning is the closest thing they had back then to social services. Gleaning was this idea that as the harvesters went through the field and collected their crops, they were not supposed to go back and collect anything they dropped. That was to be left for those who were in need. And that's what Ruth is doing as they're harvesting the crop. She's coming along and picking up the stuff that they dropped. We read in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Ruth qualifies on both counts. She is poor and she is a foreigner. And so this is where we find Boaz. Boaz is collecting his harvest, but notice Boaz actually isn't. He has people doing it for him, which is how we know he is a man of wealth, with workers in the field doing his harvest. But we also see his character. Back to Ruth chapter two, verses five through seven. Boaz Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And here's where we're starting to see Boaz's character, because you notice his overseer doesn't question the behavior. The the overseer doesn't question what he is supposed to do. He says, Boaz, I know you're a man of character. I know you understand the law. I know you follow the law. A woman showed up. She's in need. She started gleaning. We've let her. That's who she is. He doesn't question it. The overseer isn't trying to justify it. Well, you know, I know you get mad when we don't make a full harvest. I wanted you to understand why she's, she's a relative of yours. That doesn't enter into the conversation yet. He is faithful to God's law, not just in word, but in deed. Boaz is a man of character and his overseer knows this. And he knows this is acceptable behavior. Continuing on, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And without getting too much into the weeds here, Boaz, at this point, is not seeking a romantic relationship, okay? Like, later on, we'll start to see a relationship develop between Boaz and Ruth. That's not what it is here. This is Boaz simply doing what he is called to do. And not only what he is called to do, he's going above and beyond. And we'll see in other spots that Boaz, when he knows who Ruth is and knows how Ruth treated Naomi, sees that and goes, you know what? She did something risky and dangerous for my family member. I want to bless that behavior. And so even pull out some stocks and drop them for her. Make sure she gets enough. Boaz is a significant person in the time of the judges. Again, he has it all. He has wealth, he has influence, and he has character. 
And how often I think we forget in our society today how important character is. In God's eyes, character is a little bit more important than results. And yet we live in a world that highlights success and results over character. In God's economy, it's opposite. Character counts. Boaz is a leader and a man of character, but God is more concerned with his character than his success. We read in Galatians chapter 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what it doesn't list there. Unless they're successful. Unless they accomplish something. Be careful. Be careful who we follow. Be careful who we follow because they're successful, but they are not people of character. And the passage goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The question is, who are we following? Who are we following and which description fits them best? We can't control all of that. There are going to be times in our life where we're going to have a boss or a coworker or a supervisor or a coach or a teacher who does not fit God's description of the fruit of the Spirit. Be careful. Be careful, though, who we choose to follow, who we choose to idolize, who we choose to influence us, whose books we read, whose podcasts we listen to. Jesus states some harsh words as well to the political and spiritual leaders of his day on the role of integrity and character. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the inside, on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Those are harsh words. And compare that to Boaz. Look again at Boaz. Here we have in Jesus' time the Pharisees tithing, even going down to the point of, of tithing their spices. In other words, they were looking at it going, I want to give the tenth that I'm required to, but not a dot more. I'm going to go so far as to tithe even the spices I grew in my garden, make sure a tenth, because it's all about the rules. And look at Boaz. No, no, no. Pull out some extra. 
Make sure she has enough. Make sure that they are cared for. So again, who is discipling you? Because the reality is somebody is discipling us. Whether we're intentional about it or not, somebody is influencing us. Somebody is causing us to think things. Who is? Are you following a person like Boaz or like the Pharisees? Are we following somebody who's a person of integrity? More and more we are seeing a drop in church attendance. More and more people are describing themselves as non-religious. And in fact, new studies show that even in strong evangelical circles, which used to center themselves on church attendance and the importance of scripture, church involvement and corporate worship is being replaced with a new class of thought leaders, social media personalities and podcasters, once fringe prophetic preachers and politicians. Who is discipling you? Who are you letting have the greatest influence in your spiritual development? Is it people that you know are people of character and and, and integrity? Or are they people that the world has held up because they're successful and popular? Are they people of character? In chapter 3, we see Ruth finally reach out to Boaz in vulnerability. Ruth chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, this is not an illicit connection in the middle of the night. Right? That's not what this is. This is her looking at Boaz and saying, I see in you character, and I see in you the potential to rescue my mother-in-law and myself. Will you do it? Here we are. We need you. And notice, notice Boaz is still a person of character. This would be an easy opportunity for him to take advantage of, and he doesn't. He knows that somebody needs to provide for her and her family, but what he knows that she doesn't is that there is somebody else who is closer. There is somebody else whose responsibility this really should be. Verses 11 through 12. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. And Naomi, when Ruth goes back and tells her what happened, she says, you won't have to wait long. He's going to take care of this today. And he does. He goes immediately to this closer family member and says, hey, by the way, uh, Naomi's back in town and uh, her husband died. So all of her land is up for sale and you get first dibs at it. And he goes, oh, great. I would love some more land. I'll take it. He goes, oh, by the way, if you take the land, you also must Uh, marry Naomi so that her family line, her husband's family line doesn't die out. And the guy goes, you know what? I I don't need another wife. I cannot take that responsibility. Therefore, I cannot take the land. So in wisdom, he goes and says, hey, here's a unique opportunity. If you want it, it's yours. If not, you should be aware this is what's at stake. And Boaz moves on it. And again, we're seeing Boaz's faithfulness to the law, but not just his, the law that makes him look good. He's not just pursuing the property gains. Character counts. 
And to God, character is far more important than success. Finally, we'll see the faithfulness of God to his people. And really, we've seen this all the way through the story. God has been faithful to his people. Even when they have a judge like Samson or Jephthah or Gideon, God continues to be faithful even in a broken place. But here, we're going to see it very clearly. Ruth chapter 4. This is after Boaz marries Ruth. And Ruth has a child. And the women, the women of the town, go to Naomi, the new grandmother. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman, the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Imagine if that hadn't happened. And so here we see God at work in the larger story of Israel's history. We're going to see Obed, and from Obed, Jesse, and from Jesse, David, and David, the epitome of Israel. The man after God's own heart, out of, one, out of whom one will come who will be the redeemer of all people, Jesus Christ. God is at work, and God is using a Moabite woman, and God is using a man of character, and God is using somebody who went through incredible pain and remained faithful, because God is at work. And God continues to be faithful to his people, even though in that moment, I'm sure this did not feel as significant to them as it does to us. And so where are we missing God at work? Because we're not sure what's happening. That someday later, generations might look back and go, you know what? God did something significant there. I wonder if they knew. God continues to be at work. God remained faithful to David. But God remained faithful to David, not because David was perfect, but because he was repentant. All the way through scripture, we see not perfect people. Ruth, Naomi, Boaz are not perfect people, but they are repentant people. David is not perfect, but David is repentant. And time and time again, as we continue through the Old Testament story, we will see broken people be used by God, and the significance is how they respond. Do they repent? And so the significant question for us is, do we repent? 1 John 1, 8 and 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. God is faithful. The challenge for us is to remember that he is perfect and we are not. And our call whenever we encounter a perfect God who is faithful to us in spite of our sin is a call to repentance. And so as we enter now into a time of communion, this is that physical representation of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. This is communion where we remember his death and resurrection on the cross to take away the penalty of our sin. So communion is a spot where we can enter into God's presence in repentance Acknowledging our sins, repenting of them, and reminding ourselves that we are forgiven. 
God's character is perfect and ours is not. So we must repent and seek his forgiveness. And so before we begin, before we begin this, this morning to take communion, we're gonna take about 30 seconds and just be silent as an opportunity for us to do some personal reflection. And before we enter into communion, to ask ourselves and to ask the Lord, is there an area that I am not walking in step with you that I need to seek repentance? So we're gonna take about 30 seconds now in just silence. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. God, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. God, we have sinned in things that we have done. And God, we have sinned in the things that we have left undone. God, we confess that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. God, we confess that we have not walked with you as we should. God, we confess that we have not acknowledged you as Lord and Savior in every aspect of our lives. God, have mercy on us for your sake. Forgive us, renew us, lead us, so we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. And I'm gonna invite the servers to come forward, and as they do, I'm gonna remind you that here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church, we do practice open communion, which means that our communion table is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member or regular attender of our church to participate in communion, but we do ask that you be in right standing with God. And so as the elements come, if you're not in that spot, or maybe you just are not in a spot where you feel like you can take communion this morning, I would encourage you to please let the elements pass. We will not judge you for that. But that is what we do when we celebrate communion here. And lastly, we will take the elements together. So once they come, please hold on to them until we take them together. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take it together. And Heavenly Father, as we remember our sin, God, we remember and thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. And so, Lord, we thank you for that forgiveness of sins that comes through his broken body and his shed blood. In your name, amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. And as we end communion this morning, let us end it by reciting together the words of our Lord's prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we end this morning from 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.